hello and welcome, my faithful and loyal readers and listeners. Welcome to our daily devotional for June the 15th. So if you recall, our daily devotional is divided into two segments. We have our verse of the day <coughs> segment, and we have our through the Bible in one year segment. So our verse for June the 15th comes from James chapter 3 verses 13 through 18, which say, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. <clears throat> For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. The wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. So let's start by asking this question. So have you ever known anyone who claimed to be wise, but yet who acted foolishly. For you see, true wisdom can be measured by a person's character. So just as you can identify a tree by the type of fruit that that tree produces, you can evaluate your wisdom by the way you act. So foolishness leads to disorder. But you see, wisdom excuse me, leads to peace and goodness. So let me ask this, are you tempted to escalate the conflict, pass on gossip, or fan the fire of discord? Those are all signs that you're living by the wrong type of wisdom or the wrong kind of wisdom. That's signs that you are living in worldly wisdom and not godly wisdom. So what we must understand is that careful, winsome speech and wise, loving words are the seeds of peace. And God loves peacemakers. So you want to boil all this down into words that are simple and easy for every person to understand. Here's what James is saying in this passage. It is not the one who has read widely, obtained, attained advanced degrees, and can wax eloquently about any subject that is wise and has understanding. Rather, the wise person shows that his works are done and the gentleness comes from wisdom. In other words, 
wise deeds are the proof of a wise individual. The Bible reading is unique to complete for June the 15th of 1st Kings chapter 14 verse 1 through chapter 15 verse 25 next chapter 10 verses 1 through 23 Psalm 133 verses 1 through 3 and Proverbs 17 7 through 8 so that concludes first of the day segment for June the 15th. So now we're going to come to our through the Bible in one year segment for June the 15th. So if you have missed any of these segments at all, you can get caught up with them by visiting upstatechristian.com. Again, that is upstatechristian.com. So, just a reminder, we're on day 164 of Author the Bible in a One Year segment. <clears throat> and so we are in John chapter 15. Our focus is going to be on verses 18 through... 25. So what we have seen up until now is that Jesus' words have been primarily words of teaching and words of comfort. But in this last section of John chapter 15, we've seen Jesus shift his focus for just a brief moment. Because in this last section of John chapter 15, Jesus does not appear, here or there, appear to be offering words of comfort or to be offering words of hope as he so often did and as he did throughout the rest of this discourse. He has given. Right? So, rather, Jesus in this last section, John chapter 15, tells his disciples that the world will hate them for that very simple reason that it, <coughs> excuse me, that it hated him. And as we will see, what appears to be words of discouragement are in fact, of, are in fact words of encouragement and words of hope. So let's read through these brief few verses, through these few verses. Then we're going to talk about what we see here, and then we're going to delve a little bit more deeply into that. So here's what it says, starting in verse 18 and going through verse 25. It says, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. Now remember, this is Jesus talking here. If you belong to the world, it will love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but have but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember what I told you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will 
persecute you also. If they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours also. They will treat you this way because of my name, for they do not know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Whoever hates, whoever hates me hates my father as well. If I had not done among them the works no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. As it is, they have seen, and yet they have hated both me and my father. But this is to fulfill what is written in their law. They hated me without reason. So bear in mind, again, this was Jesus speaking to his disciples. And so what we see Jesus telling his disciples <clears throat> is that the world would hate the disciples because it hated Jesus first. We also say that if the disciples were part of the world, the world would love them. We also say that the disciples were no longer in the dominion of darkness, but were children of God. So since the world persecuted Jesus and rejected his message, the world would do the same to his followers. Bear that in mind, because we're going to circle back around to that one. So it would do the same to his followers. So the root problem here is that the world has rejected God. And I think we can see that very, very clearly in the way things are going in the world. That the world has chosen to reject God. They've chosen to reject Jesus. They've chosen to reject the truth. <clears throat> so you see, Jesus came as God's emissary, speaking God's words and performing God's words. Yet the world rejected both God's words and God's works. Ooh, that's good. That's good. They rejected both. They rejected his word. And they rejected his works. So the rejection of divine revelation was the basis of their guilt. That's why the world is guilty of all the things it's guilty of doing. It's because they've rejected the very revelation of God. It came to earth in the form of Jesus. So the relationship between the Father and the Son is so intimate that their rejection of the Son is a rejection of the Father. Because you see, God the Father and God the Son are one. They are equal. If you reject the one, you are rejecting the other. Regardless of whether or not you intended to reject God when you said Jesus is not his Son, that Jesus is not the way to the Father, whether or not you intended to reject God or not, you did reject God when you said you rejected His Son, because the Father and the Son are 
equal. Just as the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are equal. But we're going to talk a lot more about the Holy Spirit tomorrow when we get into John chapter 16. So hold your horses on the Holy Spirit for just a few minutes. So we must understand that God was not caught off guard by the world's rejection of his son. And you see the Old Testament predicted this hatred over in Psalm 69 verse 4. You see that's the Old Testament see the Old Testament reference in John chapter 15 verse 25. Right, that's the one that says they hated me without reason. That's that quote that ends that section of John chapter 15, right? That's <clears throat> the quote that ends it, right? Depicts a righteous sufferer who was passionate for God, but persecuted by God's enemies. Because you see, truly, the darkness has always hated the light. Why? Because light exposes the things that the darkness wants to keep hidden. The darkness wants to stay hidden, but the light comes that it can reveal <coughs> the things that the darkness has hidden. And now, and now here comes the most important part of all of this, and that is what this means for us and to us, and how these words are words of encouragement as we go about our daily lives. So these were not just words of encouragement that were spoken to Jesus' disciples some 2,000 years ago. They were words of encouragement that were meant to be passed down from generation to generation to generation to give them encouragement in what was going to happen to them. For you see, while we as followers of Christ are in this world, we will be hated, we will be rejected, and we will even be persecuted for our faith and trust in Christ. As you see, the world, and when I say the world, that is the people in the world that do not follow Christ, and the world system that is opposed to God has been an enemy of Christ and God's people throughout history, and that's not going to change, but more about that a little bit later. Just hold on to your horses on that for just a minute. There are two big reasons why these words that we have just read are words of encouragement. So the first one is that as true followers of Christ, we must understand that the world that includes false religious organizations and groups will always oppose God, they will oppose his truth, and they will oppose the principles of his kingdom. So what we see is that these enemies, what we should understand is that these enemies of God will reject, oppose, and persecute his faithful followers until the end. So what's the end we're talking about? That's when Jesus comes back to establish his perfect, permanent kingdom after the tribulation period, after what we see happen in the book of Revelation. So that's when Jesus comes back to rule as the one true and perfect king of the entire world. 
and that is when rejection, opposition, and persecution will come to an end. So then, what's the takeaway from this first point, right? The takeaway is that we must have the strength and the courage to stand and fight when at times it will appear that we are fighting a losing battle because we have the knowledge that the war has been won, so it doesn't matter if the battle is quote-unquote lost or if the battle quote-unquote appears to be lost <clears throat> because we know that Satan and his kingdom, Satan and his demons have been defeated. They're clinging to what they have because they know they have lost. <clears throat> and so we must find our hope and our strength in the fact that one day Christ will come and establish his perfect kingdom here on earth. But we must have the strength to carry on with our God-given mission until that day comes, no matter the cost, no matter what the world might do to us, no matter what the world will do to us, when we say, no, we're going to carry on with our mission, no matter what, no matter what. Because you see, we have a hope that yes, you can kill my body, but you can't kill my soul, and that is what <clears throat> the world lacks. So that's the first big reason why they are words of encouragement. And the second big reason is that we as followers of Christ suffer at the hands of the world because we are different. So this is the second and final one, right? We suffer at the hands of the world because we're different from the world. We've been plucked out of the world. We've been taken out of the world. Our view of things is so radically different from the world's view of things. <clears throat> the world rejects us and opposes us and persecutes us simply because we are different. Simply because we don't do things the same way they do them. We don't follow the typical ways of the world because we don't belong to the world anymore. We've come out of the world. You just see the values and the standards and the behaviors, lifestyles, and ultimate goals of those of us who are true followers of Christ are in conflict the ungodly ways the corrupt society in which we live what, what do I mean by that? What do, we, what do I mean by that? What do I mean by that? That our values, our standards, our behaviors, our lifestyles, and our ultimate goals conflict. That means they're so radically different than the values that the world says you must have. The values of the world say you have to think like we think. You have to view things the way we view them. It says, for instance, you have to put a value and an emphasis on being rich and hoarding everything you have and not giving you what you have to help others, but the 
Christian worldview, the worldview that Christ had, and the worldview that his followers have is that I have been, we have been given the privilege of stewarding everything we have, so it doesn't belong to us. So we give it, so we give back to God, and we give back to those in our community, and we give back to those who are in not so that we can get uh, some special plaque or some special reward, but we do it out of an attitude of gratefulness to uh, a loving God who has given it to us for a short amount of time. So in essence, in the world hates us is because we refuse to compromise with its ungodly standards and instead we set our minds on things above and not on earthly things and so we will pick up from here tomorrow as we see Jesus again turn to overt words of comfort with his second promise to send the Holy Spirit to be our helper, to be our guide, and to be our advocate. And we will see in great detail the work that the Holy Spirit has been sent to do, both in the lives of unbelievers and in the lives of those of us who are followers of Christ in order for you to be prepared for that discussion here is what you need to read you need to read first Kings chapter 15 verse 25 through chapter 17 verse 24 you need to read Acts chapter 10 verses 24 through 38 you need to read Psalm 134 1 through 3 in Proverbs 17, 9 through 11. Hello and welcome, <clears throat> my faithful and loyal readers and listeners. Welcome to our daily devotional for June the 16th. So if you will recall, our daily devotional is divided into two different segments. We have our verse of the day segment, and we have our through the Bible in one year segment. So our verse for today comes out of Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 through 25, which says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. 
So just as our verse from yesterday, we saw James talking about how godly wisdom is displayed through our acts. In other words, through our through the fruits of our behavior. So we see Paul telling us the same thing here, because you see, prior to this verse, right, Paul had said in verse in Galatians 5 verses 19 to 21 that the acts of the flesh are obvious sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. So we see that the, that the virtues that we read about in Galatians 5, 22 and 23 are contrasted. Paul contrasted the those with the vices that we read about earlier, right, we just read about. So, only through the Spirit can we as believers obtain victory over our flesh, over our fleshly desires, which was everything that we just read about. So, that would be things like sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and anything that is even remotely close to that. So whether or not we live under the influence of the flesh or the spirit, our lives will demonstrate that. So, so, so whether our lives are under the influence of the flesh or the spirit, they'll the way we live our life will demonstrate which one of those has the reigning power in our life. So for doing things that, we, that I just read, the spirit doesn't have power in our lives, the flesh has power in our lives. And for doing things that are listed in verses 22 and 23, which says, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, which by the way is also sometimes called patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. If we're doing those things, then the Spirit is ruling and reigning in our lives. So we have to understand that these virtues, these fruits, are the product of the Spirit, and they're not the product of our effort in any way shape or form. So we should notice that, is that the word fruit here is singular, which could indicate that the fruit of the Spirit is unitary, or that it is a collective noun. So more than likely it's a collective noun. More than likely Paul is referring to a collective group of things that we don't all get as a whole completely develop over time, and those that we are missing to work extra hard to develop better, to get better at, kind of like how you have to practice it in sport to get better at it, right? so you have, if you don't have love, you gotta practice 
I just love in order for you to get better at love. If you don't have joy, you gotta practice joy to get better at it. So over time, yes, you will start to display love. You'll start to display joy. You'll start to display peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and even self-control. But you don't get them all at once. So it is not surprising here. It shouldn't surprise us that Paul mentions love at the head of his list of the fruits of the Spirit. Why shouldn't it surprise us? Because it is the foundation from which all the rest of these flow. If you ain't got love, you ain't gonna have any of the rest of them. And it shouldn't surprise you that Paul put self-control as last. If you don't have love and you don't have self-control, <coughs> then none of the others are gonna ever fall into place. You gotta have both love and self-control, or nothing in the middle will ever take place. So what we also need to understand is that your life is characterized by, your life as a follower of Christ is characterized by putting to death the flesh and desires. And that this is accomplished only through the Spirit. So what we see now is that Paul transitions from describing a life lived by the Spirit, right, which is what verse verses 22 and 23 give us to a life lived in community with believers which is what <coughs> verses 24-26 say it says those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its, with its passions and desires since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. <clears throat> right. So the exhortation here is to keep in step with the Spirit. So, this, so excuse me, the exhortation to keep in step with the Spirit reminds us that there is still a battle with the flesh. That we must continue to walk and be led by the Spirit. And so you see, walking in step with the Spirit would not be characterized by a life that is filled with conceit, because a conceited mindset leads to provoking and envying each other, which is the exact opposite of everything that Paul listed in verse twenty-two. Develop some of these traits, maybe, hopefully, 
continue to read First Kings, chapter 15, verse 25, through chapter 17, verse 24, Acts chapter 10, 24 through 28, or 48, excuse me, Psalm 134, 1 through 3, and Proverbs 17, 9 through 11. So that brings us to the conclusion of our verse of the day for June the 16th. So now we're going to pick up again in our Through the Bible in One Year segment. So again, this is just a brief, brief reminder. If you have missed any of these segments, you can get caught up with all of them, <laughs> excuse me, all of them by visiting upstatechristian.com. So we're on today, 165 of our Through the Bible in One Year segment. So our focus is going to be John chapter 15, verse 26, to John 16, verse 15. So what we see today is that we reach the high point of what we now know, what we now call the Upper Roman Discourse. So as we have already seen, Jesus promised to send a counselor or an advocate to help all those who are his followers and that counselor or that advocate whichever term your translation of the bible uses or whichever term you wish to apply to the holy spirit is the holy spirit and today, and today we are finally, we're finally going to see, after Jesus has already talked about him, and Jesus has implied that he would come, Jesus has said quite a bit about the Holy Spirit already in John's Gospel, and we're finally going to see the work that the Holy Spirit has been sent to do, and we're going to see why I said yesterday that this is kind of a continuation of this great words of encouragement that Jesus gave in a roundabout way in the previous section. So hopefully you'll see that when we get all done. So we're going to pick up in John chapter 15, starting in verse 20. Six and going through verse 27, which says, When the Advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of Truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. And you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. So we see that, once again, Jesus has promised his disciples that he would send the Holy Spirit to help them. And then Jesus has placed the spiritual witness and the disciples' witness side by side. So you see, the Spirit would testify to Jesus through the disciples. So now we're going to pick up in John chapter 16, verse 1, and we're going to go through verse 11. 
So here is what event says all this I have told you so that you will not fall away. They will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, the time is coming when anyone who kills you will think they are offering a service to God. They will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. I have told you this so that so that when their time comes, you will remember that I warned you about them. I did not tell you this from the beginning, because I was with you. But now I'm going to him who sent me. None of you asked me, where are you going? Whether you were filled with grief, because I have said these things. But very truly I tell you, it is for your Good, and I am going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will move the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. About sin, because people do not believe in me. About righteousness, because I am going to the Father. When you can see me no longer. And about judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. <clears throat> so there was to be no doubt here that the disciples would experience persecution. Jesus, in fact, told them about it ahead of time. So they would not be surprised when it took place. He even went so far as to delineate for them some of the ways they would be persecuted. So what are some of the ways that Jesus said they would be persecuted? What does he say? Uh, starting in verse 2, it says, they will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, time is coming when anyone who kills you will think they will, they are offering a service to God. So he's told them that they cast out from their religious community their quote-unquote religious <clears throat> community be excommunicated. He's told them that they people would want to kill them, which is the same thing they wanted to do to Jesus. Why, why would they want to kill them? Because they'll think they're offering a service to God, because they will think these men are speaking blasphemy, when in reality they are speaking the truth, and the ones who are seeking to kill them are the liars, and the cheats, and the frauds. <clears throat> so that is how he delineated some of the ways they would be persecuted. Because you see, the persecutors, the people who were doing this persecution, would not know either the Father or Jesus. And Jesus told his disciples these things because he would soon believing them. And he had not told them about this earlier because he had been there with them to protect him. But now he is no longer going to be there to protect them. So he's got to tell them about these awful and horrible things that are gonna come because they have chosen to follow him, they have chosen to live their lives the right way and follow the right path. Or the world 
chosen to take the wrong path and to reject Jesus, just as we talked about yesterday. So Jesus had not told them about this earlier because he had been there with them to protect him. We now then see that Jesus returned to the theme of his departure, because that's the key to all of this, is his departure. He encouraged them by telling them, despite his leaving, he would send the Spirit to turn their grief into joy and give them peace in their time of trouble. We also see that after Jesus reminded his disciples that he would return to the Father, he chastened them for not asking where he was going. He gave them grief because they were concerned not about where he was going, right? Which is said, so none of you ask me where I'm going, but yet you are filled with grief because I have said these things. They were filled with grief because Jesus had told them they're going to be persecuted, that he's going to leave them all by themselves. They didn't care that Jesus was going to the Father. They only cared that Jesus was leaving them by themselves to face these big, scary things out in the world. So we see that earlier Peter had asked this very question, where you going, Lord? Where you going? I want to go with you. But you see, he was now less concerned about where Jesus was going and why he couldn't accompany him. Because see, that was Peter's big deal. Peter wanted to accompany Jesus wherever he went. At least that's what his words said at this time. His actions, of course, you know, did not show that at this point in time. They would later show it, but they didn't show it at this point in time. So Jesus knew that his disciples were overwhelmed with sorrow. So he again reminded them that he would not abandon them. They would not be abandoned. He could send the counselor or the advocate, the Holy Spirit, to them. You can see the Holy Spirit would then convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. So the verses 9 to 11 give clarity to verse 8, right? So the imagery that we see here is of a courtroom where the Holy Spirit is depicting, depicted, excuse me, as a prosecuting attorney. And the world is proven guilty. So this is going to be really brief here for right now. Once we get all done going through this passage and talking about the basics, we're going to come back to this. So that we (coughs) can get a bigger idea of this. What we're talking about here. So it's the piece of the of the Holy Spirit as a prosecuting attorney. And then the world is proven guilty. So we see that the world, the Spirit will convict the world of sin because it does not believe in Jesus. <coughs> so the world will be convicted of a sham righteousness because good deeds apart from familiar to Christ cannot merit salvation. So the world will be convicted concerning judgment because the world is 
judgment against Jesus is wrong because at the cross Jesus defeated Satan. That's the biggest thing that you need to know, right? The cross was not the end. The cross was not defeat for Jesus. The cross was victory for Jesus because through the cross sin was defeated, Satan was defeated, death was defeated, all the things that we fear have been defeated through the cross. That's why we no longer have to fear judgment, because if you are a follower of Christ, you have been justified, which means you've been made just as if you had not been sinned, it means you have been declared not guilty, or the world has been declared guilty, because they have rejected Jesus and chosen to follow their own ways. So now we're going to pick up in verse 12, and go through the end of this section, which will be verse 15, which says this, I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear, but when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth, he will not speak on his own, he will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known. So the emphasis here is shifting spirits rolling the world as a prosecutor to his role among the disciples. You see, the disciples could not take much more instruction now. But you see, the Spirit of Truth, which is the Holy Spirit, would guide the disciples into the truth. Jesus made this absolutely clear in the next few verses by saying the same thing in different ways. In other words, he repeated any time something is repeated throughout the Bible. It's something you should pay attention to because it is something of great importance. So you see, Jesus, the Spirit will continue Jesus' revelatory work. The Spirit would continue where Jesus left off. He would continue to reveal things about Jesus. But we're going to talk about that in great detail later. So that's all I'm going to say for right now. So just hold on to your horses on that. Because we got to get through quite a bit more stuff before we can get to that. So, so the promise that Jesus made was directed specifically to Jesus' disciples and found its particular fulfillment in their writing of the New Testament. Because you see, the Holy Spirit would not speak or act independently, but would glorify Jesus by drawing out the implications of his teachings 
to his disciples. So now let's turn back and focus our attention on verses 7 and 8, which say, But truly I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the Advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. So what are we talking about here? What do we see in these two verses? We see that the Holy, we see that the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, which is when God, we generally sent His Spirit to fill, to give power, and to live through His followers, would occur only after Christ left the earth. Right? It would only happen after He had left the earth, after He had ascended back into heaven. Right? That's why they were told to go and wait in the upper room, because they were waiting for the Holy Spirit to come upon them. So this first outpouring of took place on the day of Pentecost, which you which you've already read about in the book of Acts, which was uh, antecedent, which was followed by Peter's preaching of the gospel to a massively large crowd of people, and who about three thousand of those people then gave their lives to. Christ, and you see the events of the day of Pentecost mark the beginning, the beginning of the age of the Spirit. So that's what we also want. So what we see there. Firstly, the second thing we see there is in these two verses is that the Holy Spirit's main role with respect to promoting the message of Christ is to convict the world. So the term we see here used as convict means to expose, to refute, to refute, excuse me, and to convince. And we see three big things about this conviction that comes from the Holy Spirit. So the first thing we see is that the Spirit's work of convicting operates in three areas. We firstly see that it operates in sin. So we see that the Holy Spirit will expose sin and unbelief in order to awaken in a person a consciousness of guilt and a need for forgiveness. We all are in agreement on that, right? That's what we're talking about when we say that the Holy Spirit convicts you of sin. This conviction also makes clear the tragic results of rejecting Christ and persisting in sin, which is going our own way apart from God. And so after experiencing the Spirit's conviction, which every one of us must make a choice about Christ. We must either choose to accept Him, or we must choose to reject Him. 
But the hope is that this conviction will lead to true repentance and a turning to Jesus as Savior and Lord, which means turning to Him as the forgiver of our sins and the leader of our lives. So that's the first area that it works in or operates in. The second area that it operates in is it operates in righteousness. So we see that the Spirit convinces the convicts the spirit of a person that convicts convinces they both convince the exact same thing that Jesus is the Son of God who came and showed the right way to God. The Holy Spirit reveals he reveals that a right relationship with God does not depend on our own good works and or efforts, but but on Christ's death on the cross. So the Holy Spirit reveals to us that we can't earn our salvation. There's nothing we can do apart from accepting Christ's death on our behalf on the cross to be saved from the penalty of sin, which is death. So you see, if we accept, if we accept the forgiveness that is offered to us through Christ, and turn over the rule of our lives to Him, His Spirit will empower us to do what is right by God's standards and overcome the ungodly ways and temptations of this world. And so the third and final area that the Spirit's work of convicting operates in is it operates in judgment, in the area of judgment. So you see, the Holy Spirit convinces people of Satan's defeat. Which, by the way, which, by the way, this is important, right? Christ secured and guaranteed by his death on the cross. Satan was defeated by no other means, by no other means, than by Christ's death on the cross. Because you see, Satan would like nothing more than for there to be no one to follow God. He either wants you to be apathetic to God, which means you don't care about him at all, or he wants you to completely turn your back on God after you have known him. As you see, once you have come to be a follower of Christ, nothing can hurt you. So that means the devil can't steal your soul away from God, but he can, he can plant enough doubts in your mind, put enough traps out in front of you, and you cease living out the purpose that God has called for you. For you see, the Spirit also makes people makes us aware of God's present judgment of the world and the future judgment of the entire race, human race, which, by the way, includes each each one of us's personal accountability to God.
so that's that covers that first thing, right? So we talked about how the Spirit's work of convicting operates in the areas of sin, of righteousness and judgment. So that's the first thing. The second thing that we need to see from this passage is that the Spirit's work of convicting people of sin, righteousness, and judgment will be evident in all who are baptized in the Holy Spirit and are truly living as Spirit-filled believers. Right? It goes back to the change that has occurred, right, will be reflected in the way you live your life. Not the way you live your life saves you, but it reflects the fact that you have been saved. There is something completely and totally different about you. So, what we also see, we should see that Christ himself, filled with the Spirit, testified to the world that what it does is evil and called people to repent and turn to God. So, we also see that John the Baptist, who was filled with the Holy Spirit from birth, exposed the sin of the Jewish people and commanded them to change their ways. We also see, finally, we also see Peter, who was filled with the Holy Spirit, who preached a message that convinced 3,000 people of their sin, of their guilt, and then calling them to turn from their sins and receive God's forgiveness. And all of this happened because the work of the Holy Spirit's work of convicting us in uh, of our sin and of our unrighteousness and of judgment. So his convicting work in sin, righteousness in judgment, right, was evident in the way we way these people live their lives. It will be evident in the way you live your life. So that is the second big thing <coughs> that we get out of those two short little verses. And so the third and final big thing that we get out of those two out of these two short little verses is that any minister or any church or any person who has been given the God-given purpose of reaching people for the gospel of Christ, which is all of us who are followers of Christ. So it's not just a, a minister who's been ordained and gone through seminary, but it's all of those of us who are called to be ministers because that is how we fulfill the Great Commission. It also applies to the Church because the Church is the body of Christ. It's where those of us who are believers come together to fellowship with each other and to worship God. So what we 
what we'll, we'll speak to we'll see about them is that if they are afraid any one of those people who are afraid to expose sin and call for repentance which by the way is a change of attitude toward God that causes a person that causes you to turn from your sin and to surrender to God's purposes Godly living is not directed by the Holy Spirit. So what we see in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses 24 through 25, is we see a clear indication of this. So again, that's 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses 24 through 25 which says, But if an unbeliever or an inquirer comes in while everyone is prophesying, they are convicted of sin and are brought under judgment by all, as the secrets of their hearts are laid bare. So they will fall down and worship God, exclaiming, God is really among us. So we see there is that God, that passage clearly states that God's presence in a congregation will expose the sins of unbelievers, it will expose the secrets of their hearts. I'm sorry, it will expose the sin of the unbelievers, which are the secrets of their hearts, their God-defying ways, so that they can experience, experience conviction and Christ's salvation. So now let's skip ahead. Let's skip ahead, right? Two verses 13 and 14, which is going to be how we end this today which say, He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. Excuse me. I missed a part there. I missed verse 13. So let's pick up a verse 13. But when he, the Spirit of Truth, comes, he will guide you into the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. So we see that the convicting work of the Holy Spirit is only directed towards those who do not know Christ. But it also operates in and among those of us who are followers of Christ to teach, correct, and to guide us into truth. And so we see two big things about how the Holy Spirit operates in and among believers in these short little verses. The first thing we see is the Holy Spirit also will speak to God's people about sin, the righteousness of Christ, and the judgment of evil in order to do the following three things. I'm going to do the following three things. The first thing that 
does is it helps develop within them a Christ-like character and a desire to live by his standard of right and wrong. So the second thing it does, right, is that it guides them in their understanding of and their ability to live by the truth. And the third and final thing that it does is it helps them to honor Christ through their lives. So in the way that we just listed here, the Holy Spirit works within Christ's followers to develop and to reflect Christ's holiness in their lives. Oh, so what are we talking about there? That's what we're talking about here, right? So the Holy Spirit is working within our lives to help us to develop and to reflect Christ's likeness to the world. That's why Christ sent us the Holy Spirit, because he knew by ourselves we couldn't live a life good enough and perfect enough to reflect God out into the world. But you see, he sent us the Holy Spirit to help us to develop more and more like him. And so the second big thing that we see in these verses is that if those of us who are followers of Christ and who are spirit-filled reject the guidance that the Holy Spirit gives us and, the, and his convicting work, and if we do not, by the Spirit, put to death the misdeeds of the body, by the way, that's Romans 8, 13, they are, and we are setting ourselves against God, and we will be judged for that choice. So we see is that only those who receive and respond to the truth are led by the Spirit of God and are true sons and or daughters of God that comes from, again from Romans 8, 14, who are able to experience the benefits of the Spirit's life within them. So what we must understand is that sin hinders and destroys the life and the work of the Holy Spirit within the believer. So in other words, the more you sin, the more you keep sinning. And the more you sin and without repenting, because we're all going to sin. The key thing about this is that you can't go on sinning and not ever repenting for that sin. So finally, we say that the Holy Spirit reveals to believers more about Jesus. Hmm. So what are we talking about here? So what we're talking about here is that through the Spirit, those of us who are 
followers of Christ experience Jesus' presence. We experience his love. We experience his forgiveness. We experience his character. We experience his power. We experience his spiritual gifts. We experience his healing and every other benefit that comes from having that comes from having faith in Christ and having a relationship with Christ. So you see, the Holy Spirit does not draw attention to himself, but he brings honor to Christ, the one who sent him to indwell his original disciples and to indwell every one of us that lives today that is a follower of Christ. So finally what we see is you know, the Holy Spirit doesn't bring attention to himself, but it brings honor to God. So, you know, the Holy Spirit also makes us more aware of Jesus' presence in our life, which will ultimately strengthen our faith and inspire us to love, obey, and worship God with more passion than we have ever done. Why? Why will we worship God with more passion when we're filled with the Spirit? What does this have to do with anything? Because you see, as the Holy Spirit comes in and dwells in us, and we begin to listen to him, be attuned to his promptings, and be attuned to his leadings, we will eventually come to the point that our faith has been so strengthened We are able to stand up like we are supposed to stand and come under persecution. We're able to love, obey, and worship God. Because in reality, that's what the Spirit wants to do. And when we have allowed the Holy Spirit to come and live in our lives, even though He has already... On the day that we accepted Christ as our Lord and Savior, when we make the concerted effort to open ourselves up to the Spirit, then we will see not only our faith strengthened, but we will see that the Holy Spirit inspires us to love our God more, to obey our God more, and to worship our God more. And we'll pick up from here tomorrow as we come to the end of Jesus' final words of wisdom to his disciples before he was arrested, before his arrest, before his trial, before his crucifixion. Before his burial and before his resurrection.
and the Bible readings that you need to do to be prepared for that are First Kings chapter 18, Acts chapter 11, Psalm 135, 1 through 21, and Proverbs 17, verses 12 and 13.